Welcome to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to Innovation in Government. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dave X, the Chief Technologist for Red Hat North America Public Sector. Dave, welcome back to the program. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. And we've done this a couple of times, but we're going to still continue our conversation around open source. There's so much to talk about. Before we get started, let me set a little context for our discussion. The authority to operate the ATO process, the bane of many CIOs and developers' existence in the federal sector. It's one of those necessary evils of federal technology, but it's also such a problem that agencies over the last five years have been trying to figure out a way to go faster, make it cost less. For instance, GSA's 18F organization came up with a compliance as code effort to cut down on the time and cost to get an ATO. Other agencies, such as the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency and the Air Force, have come up with similar approaches called the fast-track ATO process. One reason why agencies are having this discussion is the widespread acceptance of something called DevSecOps, or Agile Development. According to the latest data from the federal IT dashboard, 58% of all major IT projects are using an iterative or agile approach to development. So hopefully this means they're building security as they go. This DevSecOps approach also allows agencies to be more innovative by developing microservices that can be secured, shared, and implemented quickly. As agencies continue to live in a hybrid IT environment, the DevSecOps or agile approach to development becomes more important for agencies as they strive to make services for citizens easier and more convenient and meet the missions in new ways. And that's where my guest comes in, Dave X, the Chief Technologist for Red Hat North America Public Sector. He'll tell us why DevSecOps can lead to security, innovation, and overall mission success. Dave, let's start with the beginning. DevSecOps, we've heard the term before. It means basically develop it, put your security in, and then put it into operations. But what's the popularity that you're seeing in the federal government around this concept? The big popularity that I see right now is that security has a seat at the table where you know, in the past uh, people would do DevOps and they would have their development team and operations team working very closely and then they bring it to the security team and then they're surprised by it and that, that ends up slowing things down. So by having uh, the security team in the middle between the developers and operations and automating as much as possible, that allows you to go from code to uh, running uh, uh, workload up and operational as fast as possible. One of the things that we've seen is agencies have kind of moved into this world of Agile and DevSecOps. Mm -hmm. I know some people use them as synonyms, some people say they're much different. One's mm -hmm. kind of a, a methodology, one's yep. a process. But anyway, you kind of slice it. The issue here is that security is, is as soon as a code gets written, it goes through a security test of sorts. Yes. And then before it gets put into operations, it goes through maybe a series of security tests. Yep. Walk me through kind of what the DevSecOps process maybe looks like. The same way, like if you're familiar with, with a... Uh, continuous integration, uh, continuous deployment model where you have this uh, CICD pipeline where people commit code and as soon as they commit the code into the repository, you have these robots that just start building uh, the, the application. But not only uh, do they build the application and throw it into production, they do what, what's called unit tests where they check the, the code to make sure that it doesn't fail against known use cases. But often what doesn't happen there is are the security checks. So will also happen is, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, you will be doing these unit tests for security. So you'll check to see, is it using libraries that have known vulnerabilities? Is it, and all the different checks that you're doing, are this, is the system configured the proper way? And so once it passes all of those things, it, it then it, any, like you said, before you take it into production, you could do, uh, put it under the microscope a little bit more, but they're, they're, by taking the human out of the loop, that allows you to 
iterate faster, which allows you to innovate faster. Now, let's be clear about this because I think people say, wait a minute, there's no human checking it. No, there is, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's the if you will, transactional piece of security checking that's being done by the robot, for lack of a better word. Right. Yeah, and that's the whole big thing right there, because when you have the human in the loop, it leaves things up to human interpretation, and it also leaves things up to human fallibility. And so the, the problem that you're going to have is that, you know, it, it's repeatability is going to be a challenge where, you know, somebody's having a bad day or they didn't drink enough coffee in the morning. <laughs> you know, you, you may be getting different results. And so the, the big benefit here is by doing the, the security while you're doing the development and before you do the, the deployment, that allows you to have this consistent baseline that's very repeatable. And that also, the, the consistency you mentioned, but it also then makes things go faster mm-hmm. because it's, well, Dave took an hour lunch instead of a half hour lunch, and so therefore the code got held up, now there's a backlog. The yep. computer, the bot, never takes a break, so to speak. Yep. Uh, n- never has to, you know, go to the bathroom or go on vacation. <laughs> go on vacation, right? And so that kind of that creates that innovation. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's it's been catching on. This approach is so popular because of of this idea of it can be happen more quickly, and then it can be done all the time. So every yeah. time new code yes. gets added, it gets old code gets re looked at too, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the other part too is that when you you look at it uh, for the 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 authority that is doing the approval, by doing your compliance as code, it's not only uh, machine readable, but it's also human readable. So I can give that to the auditor, and so when they say, how are you configuring your system? Well, I, you know, here is the check that I'm doing. It's, it's written in a human readable way, but it's also done in a machine readable way, which I can prove it repeatedly. At the beginning of the conversation, I mentioned about 18F and their compliance as code. You guys are, have taken that project or, or pieces of that project, and what are you guys doing with it to, to expand it? So 18F started with uh, open control, and, uh, and what we've been doing, and, and we started with the SCAP security guide project that we've done for years, and you know, it's to the point where it, every copy of Red Hat Enterprise Linux that we ship right now has a copy of that included with it. So it's, and just let me yeah. jump in, SCAP is something that NIST oh, put, put yeah, yeah. together, a vulnerability library of sorts. Yeah, the Security Content Automation Pro- that Protocol. That was good. You pulled yeah. that. I saw you yeah. pulled that right out. It's good. Yeah, and, and so it's so many acronyms. But yeah, again, it's 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 a great way to do uh, things that are human-readable but also machine-readable to make sure that you know the, the policy that somebody thinks up is actually it's it's mathematically correct. And so the open control piece through 18F, you guys have taken that out and doing mm-hmm. what? So you could think of uh, open control as like a language to describe what your security baseline looks like. And, but if you think about it, how many times has the government done a uh, web server that's running Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and then they got to write a 400-page document to get the authority to operate for it? And then... Oh, somebody else does a web server running on top of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. They write a different 400-page document, even though it's the exact same workload. Wouldn't it be great if we had an open source repository where those best practices are shared, where everybody can use the same content? And that, again, think about ATO acceleration. Instead of having to write a 400-page document, you could stand on the shoulders of giants, reuse what's there. If you don't like something or you find a bug, you could submit uh, a pull request and we'll fix it. But what that does, that allows, you know, the, it allows the, the time to mission is a lot faster and also think about the cost of the taxpayer. I think those are two good points, time to mission and cost, because that's really been why people just hate ATOs. And the yeah. other piece of this that, that, that this helps with is the continuous part. Yes. We hear about continuous diagnostics and mitigation program, some agencies call it continuous monitoring. Mm-hmm. But DevSecOps lets you have that ATO redone 
every time you add a new code, yep. not just once a year. Exactly. That's a, that's another huge benefit. Yeah, no, and it's it's just like instead of going to the doctor for your annual checkup, you 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 have your Fitbit that's on your on your wrist that is you know checking your pulse and uh, checking your health statistics all, all the time. This whole discussion, though, we've spent a lot of time on security, but let's move broad more broadly because agile, iterative, DevOps with the second in the middle now. Yep, yep. That's also something that agencies are seeing a lot of progress with. Talk a little bit about where DevOps is going and, and containers, and there's so mm -hmm. many pieces of, of really, and parts that, that are evolving to make it better for agencies and, and vendors like yourself who support them to develop code and, and get the services out more quickly. As the people are going faster and faster and faster, the trend from traditional physical infrastructure or virtual machines isn't fast enough for people. They want to be able to create services, have them spin up, execute an operation and shut down, possibly destroy themselves afterwards. And that's that's where containers come in, yeah. where you have these ephemeral services that they'll run something, they'll, they'll just go away, right? And so with containers, containers are it's just enough operating system to run the application plus the application itself. So the attack surface from a security standpoint is much smaller. But the other thing though is that, you know, containers were popular, they've been popular for the past couple of years, but the big trend now is that, okay, this is great, how do we get them into production, and how do you orchestrate them at scale? And that's where, like, talking about open source again, the Kubernetes project, which was started by Google, is one of the big ways that uh, is like the de facto standard for container orchestration, of being able to have multiple containers, but as your demands grow, for instance, imagine you're the IRS and it's tax season, you want to be able to spin up a lot of containers to put up with the load, but once that's done and that burst workload is all done, you could have those systems quiesce and, and just go away and to free up resources and, and make your workloads a lot more elastic. What are you seeing from agencies are they starting to use containers more and more? Because when I talk to CIOs, and that doesn't necessarily come up as, well, we're into containers now. I mean, you hear cloud, or you hear cybersecurity, yep. or you hear even zero trust, all those big buzzwords, but containers doesn't quite come up now. Maybe that's because it's the next level down. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree, where it's it's sort of like, you know, you lift the hood up, and oh yeah, it is containers under the hood, where- But, but all I see is the car and the hood. Right, and it's, it's and it's also the, yeah. the, the mission, and the value to the mission, and the time to mission, that, 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 that they are most focused on, where, you know, some of the smartest CIOs and CTOs that I know, it's all about business value. So it's not, you know, they don't want to be seen as like the facilities department <laughs> of, I, I need a filing cabinet and a computer and a printer. It's like, okay, I want to have a seat at that table with the people that are in charge of the mission and how can our IT organization help respond to the mission uh, to, to help the needs of our customers. When we talk about mission, I think that's really the why DevSecOps also has gained so much popularity is this idea of we need to get services out more quickly, we mm -hmm. need to meet we need to meet expectations of the citizens. Is, is that been the driver of DevSecOps from your perspective and this idea of containerization? Oh, absolutely. It's 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 that need for speed, yeah. right? Where and also if you think about it, the uh, consumerization of technology has really changed the expectation for the stakeholder. I've heard stories of where it would take six months to get a virtual machine created in the government. <laughs> Honest to goodness. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's because of the physical security checks and, and it's all the manual labor and everything. And that doesn't cut it in today's, in, in the private sector, right? And so what'll happen is you'll have the mission stakeholders going back to the IT organization saying that, 
well, hey, my daughter can order an app on, on her iPhone or uh, spin, uh, you know, I can go to uh, Dropbox or, or Google Drive or whatever, and I have all these capabilities, why are we so slow? And that's where the IT organization will go back to, their, or the CIO will go back to their, their staff and say, okay, how do we work faster? And that's where dev, you know, your process, uh, DevSecOps and agile development come in, and also the what of containers, and which is the way to rapidly respond and, and rapidly react based upon uh, the, the needs of the mission and whether you have bursty workloads or not. That's another key point that we got to make sure we hit upon is this idea of it's not used for everything. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a pretty s consistent workload, maybe a container is not the yep. best way to do it. But like is your example with the IRS where they know during tax season they're going to, you know, between you know, January and April, they're going to be really busy. But by June and July, maybe not as busy. Yep. That's a good way to kind of burst up the, the capabilities. Is that the key piece here that agencies should understand about this DevSecOps approach is automation for security is number one, mm -hmm. and then number two is uh, be able to adjust for the workloads that's in front of you. Yeah, and, and that's where it's uh, looking back at the, the cloud smart policy. That's I think that's one of the key tenets of that, of like, well, maybe it's not the right thing to refactor everything and stick it in the cloud, right? It, it, let's be smart about it. Maybe some of it is on bare metal, uh, in the physical data center, maybe some of it's virtualized, maybe some of it does go to the public cloud. So by being smart about it, and um, there's the the, the uh, Federal CIO Council came up with an ap application rationalization playbook, where I love the one chart in there, it's a two by two grid uh, that shows you, okay, which are the applications you want to reward, which are the ones you want to retire, uh, which are the ones that you want to investigate that aren't delivering value, and you know, and, and just going through that is such a, a wonderful infographic that people should use to help guide their migration process. And instead of looking at every workload as like I have to containerize it. All right, we'll make sure we put a link to that application playbook. I've written about it a lot on federalnewsnetwork.com. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. You're listening to Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Agencies often fixate on technology to accelerate digital transformation and overlook organizational transformation, which is at the root of why we do what we do. I'm Paul Smith from Red Hat. The organization plays are just as critical to mission success as technologies we choose. That's why agencies choose Red Hat Open Innovation Labs to not only harness the latest technologies, but transform their organizations to bring the best out in their people. Learn more about open digital transformation at redhat.com government. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Dave X, the Chief Technologist for Red Hat North America Public Sector. Now, Dave, before a break, we were talking a lot about DevOps, DevSecOps, and why it's gaining so much popularity. Give us an example of maybe where this is actually happening, because I think a lot of people hear this and go, yeah, 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 DevOps, it's, it's a hot new thing. Yeah. Might as well be zero trust or cloud. But yeah. this is actually, this is real for you guys. Yeah, no, it, it's, you know, yeah, you're exactly right. You think, oh, this is some hip Silicon Valley thing and I have, <laughs> to have skinny jeans to be able to do this. But it's, it's not actually the case. Where we were very lucky uh, this year at the Red Hat Summit to have Lockheed Martin be on the main stage. And what was interesting is that uh, they said, that the government brought them in, and it's like you you will either change or you will be changed, and and it was a very you know uh, chilling thing for them in terms of like changing their processes, being able to react a lot more quickly, and so what uh, what they did is that they work with Red Hat, our Open Innovation Labs, and ordinarily it used to take them five to seven years to go from uh, code uh, to have it running in the F twenty two cockpit, 
by working with Red Hat and Open Innovation Labs for the first uh, year, we were already sh uh, shaved two years off of that timeline, and we're looking to shrink that even more. And they're doing that because of these, these concepts we're talking about. Yeah, it's moving faster. It's not waiting six weeks, six months to get a VM created. Right. right. Yeah. And then also the idea of that as soon as you write the piece of code, it goes through this automation orchestration piece You're to go, yes, every single time. it meets these sets mm -hmm. of requirements. And yeah, then it goes nothing, on. nothing uh, has, has went uh, drifted from my baseline. And, and is this something that other agencies are sharing, and other even vendors mm -hmm. are starting to take notice? Because obviously Lockheed, the F-22 program is a big program, yeah. big dollars, a lot of attention gets paid. Yep. Yeah, we're, we also had at the Red Hat Summit the uh, CIO and CTO of uh, U.S. Customs and Immigration Services talking about the same sort of thing. Of, yep. You know, automate, automate, automate as much as you can. Yeah, USCIS has one of those, uh, probably the, the standard for a lot of in the government. They're out in front and they really have it going. Yeah. Uh, one of the other pieces to this discussion we have to bring up is Red Hat, and, and you guys got bought by IBM. Mm -hmm. A lot of people seem to be wondering what's that mean for you guys as, as, at Red Hat, mm -hmm. but also what's it mean for a transition? Because anytime one company buys another, there's a there's potentially a downward impact on customers. So talk a little bit about that transition. Yeah, and, and it seems like the big trend these days with when it comes to uh, corporate acquisitions is to uh, leave the acquired company intact in mm -hmm. many cases. So if you look at, say, like LinkedIn uh, or GitHub, a lot of people don't know it's owned by Microsoft <laughs> or like VMware and their relationship with Dell. And it's it's their independence is what really is a big differentiator for them. But the IBM acquisition of Red Hat is, is no different in terms of uh, you know, we are independent, and that was one of the big values that they saw, where, you know, historically, uh, Red Hat created an open substrate that uh, was the thing that stayed the same, so everything below it could be different. And we proved that out during the Unix wars of, you know, uh, of having people move from proprietary Unix systems to x86 with their choice of hardware using Linux, uh, to today using OpenShift and Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and extending that exact same uh, motion to the cloud. So, so it's all four footprints, whether it's physical, virtual, uh, private cloud, or public cloud. When you sit down with your federal customers, is that the first question you get? Where's your blue shirt? Yeah. You, are, you are wearing one today, but. Yeah, no, I thought, I have a red, you have I, a red, I have one, a red too. one too, but no, I wore the blue shirt today. But um, yeah, and it is a question that they have, and, and but they, they are, you know, but once we have that conversation, they are relieved because they, you know, a lot of times they see us as that arbiter of, of you know, being the, the, that open substrate and, and allows them to have that choice and avoid vendor lock-in, and they don't want to lose that. And that's one of the things that IBM is so focused on, making sure that we're independent. One of the reasons why is I think IBM decided to purchase Red Hat for multiple reasons, but agencies are living in an environment that's not going to change anytime soon, mm -hmm. commonly known as hybrid IT. Some in the cloud, some on-premises, some in private clouds. Talk about that trend that you're seeing as well. What are agencies doing around kind of their, their this ever-changing IT environment? Yeah, and, and that's one of the other big reasons why IBM bought Red Hat is is for the hybrid cloud, and so if I, I, there's a stat that uh, I believe AWS put out a little while ago saying that about 20% of the enterprise IT workloads are in a public cloud today. So that leaves you know 80% is are already still you know running in physical data centers or or on you know private clouds, and so there's a, a lot of opportunities there for people to move to the cloud. But the reality is is that as you do your application modernization, there may be some workloads that you know, again, cloud smart, wouldn't be a good candidate to yep. move to the cloud, or you may want to retire it in a couple of years so that the net new work to do a migration isn't really worth it. So the whole thought of 
uh, having that open substrate that allows you to uh, you know standardize on something on and be successful in the public or in you know in your in your private data center and extend that to the public cloud allows you to train people on one set of technologies and move to the cloud at, at the pace that they feel comfortable, but by having that be the same, they can accelerate their movement to the cloud because it's something that they already know and they're, they're familiar with. We want to get to the workforce piece in a second before yeah. we get there. When you talk to clients and, and, and they're like, okay, but we have this here and that there, how do they connect, how do they talk together? That's when you talk about the open substrate, which yes. is, I think, a very technical term for, for yeah. you know, people like me. You're just talking about the fact is it's a proprietary open source, open standards. Yes, yeah, and that's the big difference where, you know, it's like, like I said, back in the, the Unix wars, you could, you know, everybody had their different Unix system, right? And you could only buy that Unix operating system from the Unix hardware vendor. And to move to a different Unix vendor, it was a porting cost. It was prohibitively expensive for most people. And then all of a sudden, Linux comes along, and it runs everywhere, right? It, it runs, you know, today it runs on your mobile phone, it runs in your car, it runs in the cloud, it runs on your laptop, right? And so um, what that does is by having Linux be open, that allows the, the hardware choice to be wide open, whether and also the footprint of where you want to deploy it to be wide open too. So it, it gives a lot of that power away, you know, it takes the power away from the proprietary vendor and puts it back in the hands of the customer, giving them the, the, the power to move to whatever cloud they want at the rate that they want because of what they standardized on. And, and that's why you can put some things in-house, some things on, on the cloud, and, and as, again, going back to the workforce piece now, yep. the IT employees will get used to, okay, I see how it works here, and I see how it works there, mm -hmm. because they're connected or, or they're talking. I mean, that, that's really the key here, is that the, the employees will get that training, that eventually when you do move to the cloud, they'll be ready for it. Yeah, exactly, and, and even going back to what we were talking about earlier, the, the DevOpsSec approaches as well, the same tests that you're doing for security in your of your Linux operating system for a, a private cloud workload can be very, very similar to what you deploy in the public cloud. What's the biggest change the workforce has to kind of get ready for as they kind of move into this hybrid world, but also the cloud environment and the DevSecOps environment? One of the big things that's, that I think is, of the CIO conversations I've been having is concern about workforce and automation uh, creating a lot of fear with government employees, where it's like, oh, am I going to be automated out of a job? But the, the reality, though, is that when I talk to uh, a lot of the government employees, there's no shortage of work for them to do, <laughs> right? And, and if you could automate a lot of the drudgery away from the, of what they're doing, they're actually relieved by that. And, and you know, again, it's like why focus on the drudgery when you could um, do a lot more meaningful things for the mission? And you know, also when you talk to a lot of the um, young millennials, it's all about, you know, it's, it's more than just a paycheck, it's purpose. Right. And, and if they're doing a job that is just tedious and boring and there's no real tie back to what the mission is, that's not going to attract and retain talent. So by automating that as much as possible, it allows people to focus on that meaningful work. It's interesting you talk about the fact that people are worried about their jobs. Yeah. And I think the Trump administration, generally speaking, has done a pretty good job of communicating that, listen, reskilling, upskilling, it's not about getting rid of people. Right. It's getting you to do better, what they call high value work. Right. And I think that with the robotics process automation, some of the pilots we're seeing, whether at GSA or National Science Foundation or Bureau of Fiscal Service, they're starting to see like, okay, I don't have to do this drudgery anymore. 
what does that mean for the CIOs, though? They have to train people to do things differently, and, and part yeah. of that training may be to work, again, in an open environment or... or a, a lot of times it is changing those processes of going from waterfall to agile, but it's also reskilling on the technologies themselves. So, you know, learning about automation, learning about RPA. Um, all, you know, the other part, too, is that I, I saw a lot of some of the, the, the pilots that are going on for uh, cyber skills, uh, you know, being able to have, whether it's federal government employees or, and I've seen it in the state of Virginia as well, where um, people can be reskilled. Uh, and, and be nominated to uh, work in the cybersecurity world, and, and the government will, will fund their reskilling effort. And, and so the benefit there is that as you automate some tasks away, uh, creating uh, a lot of surplus people, um, you could repurpose those people and those skills to fulfill the cyber gap, which is uh, has a negative unemployment rate right now. Uh, absolutely. I think uh, the last thing I saw was something to the effect of like 300, 350,000 openings in the cyber world. So the more people you can get, and they don't have to be cyber experts, right? They right. can just know enough to be like, okay, I can look at that code and go, okay, that needs to be looked at again or it can go forward. Uh, you don't need to know all the, the in intricacies of the cyber code. And that, that, that again goes back to the the compliance as code where you, if you can automate as much as you can possibly and, and share that automation code, you can have a small number of like high-end security experts figure out the right way to lock down a web server running on top of Red Hat Enterprise Linux and then share that with everybody else. So they don't need to be the security you know guru and, and so, again, you're, you're resharing, and that makes everybody a lot stronger from a security standpoint. Uh, Dave, we're almost out of time. It's been a fascinating conversation. I want to ask you about some of the common potholes or some advice you have for agencies as they're moving in this direction of DevSecOps, of containerization, of Kubernetes. Yep. What, what are some of the things that, that you know, advice or, or potholes to avoid? Yeah, um, I would say doing business as usual isn't going to work, <laughs> right? You know, so it's like, I, you know, the, a lot of times the... You know, you'll have a vendor come to the government and say, oh, if you only buy my widget, all your problems are going to go away. But the reality is, though, is that if you don't change your processes and you don't train your people and take care of your people, that there's no product in the world that's going to be able to help you. Yeah. And so, Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, though, don't do business as usual, though, means what means. You yeah. have to look at the development. You have to look at your approach, your processes. I, I had a great conversation with a chief human capital officer, and they yep. said they looked at something to the effect of, like, um, 1,500, 1,400 processes, and they mm -hmm. took it down to 600. Yeah. So that, I think that's part of what the change that has to happen that fits into this DevSecOps world, too. Yeah, yeah, and also it's 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 more than just the processes of doing the workload, but it's also from a leadership top-down perspective, too. So, um, you know, how you lead your people uh, is very, very important. And, it's, you know, there's so many HBR articles that I see coming out that, that talk about, you know, the open organization. Um, you know, Stanley McChrystal's book, Team of Teams, is one of my favorites in terms of, you know, empowerment and pushing the decision-making as far down in the org chart as possible so that, you know, it's, it's a good day when the leaders at the top make as few decisions as possible because you've empowered the staff uh, to be able to make those decisions directly. Very good. Dave, this has been, again, a fascinating conversation, but uh, unfortunately we are out of time. So uh, let me thank my guest, Dave X, the Chief Technologist for Red Hat North America Public Sector. Dave, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation.
Agencies often fixate on technology to accelerate digital transformation and overlook organizational transformation, which is at the root of why we do what we do. I'm Paul Smith from Red Hat. The organization plays are just as critical to mission success as technologies we choose. That's why agencies choose Red Hat Open Innovation Labs to not only harness the latest technologies, but transform their organizations to bring the best out in their people. Learn more about open digital transformation at redhat.com government.